every day when I wake up in the morning I see the sky and I think about the things that you've made All the beauty and your glory is showing, yeah It never bores me to look at the ocean The waves are crashing, the water's spraying up in my face I look above and all the seagulls are soaring, yeah Got to overcome the darkness So we don't get caught in the middle Between the hopeful and the heartless So Hello, good day, good morning I just can't stop smiling Because today is a brand new day And all the darkness and the pain Is just fading behind me Oh Lord, what a beautiful day All the planets surround me The way they orbit just boggles my mind The way the sun keeps on shining, yeah We've got to overcome the darkness So we don't get caught in the middle Between the hopeful and the heartless So, hello, good day, good morning I just can't stop smiling Cause today is a brand new day And all the darkness and the pain is just fading behind me Oh Lord, what a beautiful day There's nothing to fear, it'll be okay It's the day that the Lord has made Day that the Lord has made. There's nothing to fear, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. The day that the Lord has made. It's the day that the Lord has made. So, hello, good day, good morning. I just can't stop smiling. Cause today is a brand new day. And all the darkness and the pain is just fading behind me. Oh, Lord, what a beautiful day. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Yes, Dale, I will, uh, I will... Take one as, uh, <laughs> I won that one. Uh, Dale was skeptical that we were going to finish Isaiah this week, but we did. We did indeed. Uh, good morning, Keith and Asher and Elmac and Jay. Glad to have you all with us. So I'm going to frustrate you all a little bit today. Just to lay that out on the front end, we're going to dive into some eschatology stuff and you're going to want to spend a lot more time on these things. Uh, and I'm just going to raise questions that I can't answer yet. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I do want to let you know what's coming up Monday, at least to this degree. Uh, pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited about uh, where we're heading. I'm not going to give you too much, um, but some of you have heard me mention on the on the program here the uh, the the church that meets in my home that we started back in the spring, and uh, that has been the most wonderful church experience 
that I've ever had. And I was a pastor for 25 years. Um, and my family, my teenage children said the same thing, all the people who come. And uh, that combined with our study of Isaiah has really, I don't know, changed my perspective on some things. And uh, so I'm not going to tell you exactly where we're going yet, but if that intrigues you, uh, come back Monday and we're going to begin talking about uh, some interesting things. I'll, I'll give you this much. It's, uh, it's appropriate that we're going to begin talking about these things on uh, Monday because Monday, if you look at the date of what Monday is, you'll, you'll know why I'm saying that probably. Um, so check back. We're going to stay at the normal time. Uh, I may move it back a half hour eventually, but I'm not going to do that next week. I'll let you know that happens. Good morning, Tim in the, uh, the UK. Glad to have you with us as well. All right. So let's finish up our discussion of Isaiah. And actually we're not going to be in Isaiah, but some of the implications or questions that are raised from the new heavens and new earth that we saw in Isaiah 65 and 66. And I did want to, uh, uh, I did what Dale says, ecclesiology study of sorts of sorts. Um, so I mentioned yesterday that uh, what keeps me from being a full preterist is uh, really two passages. One is uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that I mentioned yesterday. And I just want to walk through it quickly and, and show you some of the questions that come to my mind uh, based on, well, everything. So Isaiah, or Isaiah, 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul here, of course, is arguing for the necessity of the bodily resurrection. Jesus's body went into the tomb. It came out again. That's the raised from the dead he's talking about, right? He's the first fruits of those who are asleep. That's an important phrase. Uh, people have died for centuries. That's what the Bible means by asleep. And Jesus also went to sleep, physically dying, and he came back to life. And he's the first fruits of those. So it sure seems like the, uh, the context and the analogy and the proposition here requires a bodily resurrection of those who are asleep. And I don't see how to fit that into... A, uh, a view that does not see a climactic resurrection day based on what he goes on and says here and in other passages. I'm open. I told you yesterday, I'm open, always open to anything. I want to know truth. and I'm not going to hold fast to what I currently believe simply because it's what I currently believe. Like I, I want to know what the word of God says. So I want to be open to it, but not sure what it seems like here to me. And he goes on, for since by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man also came resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. And again, the everything here screams an actual bodily resurrection for for us. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, uh, but each in his own order. So now he's giving us an order of uh, the resurrection. Christ is the first fruits. So he's the first one. 
After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Which, of course, raises the question. Coming for what? <laughs> so many of the coming passages in the New Testament I see as 70 AD. Coming in judgment. Coming to bring about God's wrath on the Jews and destruction of the temple, Matthew 24, all of it discourse. Is that the coming? In which case it's some kind of resurrection in 70 AD? Or is this coming what we think of as the second coming, the coming again, the, the return of Christ to earth? And that introduces a new age. Uh, I see arguments both ways. The next phrase has even more interest to me. Then comes the end, uh, the telos, the, uh, the goal for which it's all been heading. When he, Christ, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Uh, Lon says, why would preterists not believe in a bodily resurrection? Um, because as I understand the preterist view, the world is going to continue on perpetually. The second coming, all of this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 has already been fulfilled. So uh, there's not a new earth like our current earth for resurrected bodies to be in. So your resurrection is a spiritual one, not a bodily one, and you resurrected and go dwell in heaven, but this earth continues on forever. I think that's how they would argue. Uh, Dale says, would the argument be that this refers to regeneration or something? I th either that or, like I just mentioned, a, um, a resurrection that's not uh bodily but you die and you're raised up and go be with the lord in heaven and this is why i said to sherry yesterday um, as i have explored that view i could not find any preterist handling of first corinthians 15 that was even close to the text so that's what then gave me pause to go back and relook at all of their arguments and i see some other assumptions along the way uh, hey, good morning, Sherry. Sherry says, doesn't scripture say first we have an earthly body and then a spiritual body? Yes, but the whole comparison here is we're going to receive a body like Jesus. I think that's how I read it. He's the first fruits and we're going to be made alive like he was made alive. That's at least how I read it. This whole section here is very interesting uh, because there's going to be people raised when Christ comes at his coming and we... I already explained that that could go a couple ways. And then comes the end, the goal, and he hands the kingdom back to the Father. Every other passage that I'm aware of in the scripture talks about the Messiah reigning and ruling forever. And then he throws this in that he's going to hand the kingdom back to the Father after he has abolished rule and authority. He's got to reign until he's crushed all of, it, all of his enemies. The last enemy to be abolished is death. In my view, this is the strongest passage in the entire Bible for a post-mill view. 
if the last enemy is death, and that means there will be no more dying, and this is resurrection day, then between now and then, he's destroying all of his enemies. You see that? Death is the last one. People are still dying. That means he hasn't destroyed all of his enemies. If he's destroying all of his enemies, that would seem to lend credibility to the idea that the other enemies are going to be defeated, which will lead to more righteousness before resurrection day, so to speak. Uh, Sherry says, but didn't Jesus raise body different than his earthly body? Yes. Um, he did. Hang on. Hang on. Let me, let me go to one more place here and see if that helps. Uh, yeah, yeah. You guys, y'all are asking good questions. Um, the last enemy, Lon, are you saying the last enemy being the second death? Maybe the problem is, and this is something we all have to, to think through for our, our interpretation of the scripture. You know, how would the Corinthians known about that? Uh, remember the Corinthians got this letter and we don't know that they knew anything about a second death the way the book of Revelation describes it. So as you just read it here in its own context, the first Corinthians, it sure sounds like he's talking about body being resurrected just as Jesus's body was being resurrected and that physical death, we must all sleep. He just mentioned that, which is, I think very clearly physical death the last enemy to be abolished is physical death. Uh, that's what the Corinthians, I think, would have heard and understood him to say. Um, yeah, but what Paul meant, uh, maybe. It, I just, if we didn't have a revelation, I don't think we'd ever think of second death, maybe. Uh, he has put all things in subjection under his feet, quoting Psalm 110. When he says all things, it's evident he doesn't mean uh, the, the Father, um, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Again, this seems like a future time, not a current time. Uh, and he goes on to talk about, uh, I don't know if wanna, now here's where maybe this is where Sherry would, would say the first man is from the earth, earthy, the second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are the earthy. As is the heavenly, so also the heavenly. Um, and this is an interesting statement. I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Uh, that sounds like we're not going to have a resurrection body, at least like I was describing earlier. I tell you, mystery will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, and so on. Um Anyway, this is hard stuff. Uh, Dale says, doesn't 2 Timothy 1.10 say Jesus conquered death already? I believe there's other places, maybe an issue of them not all talking about the same thing. He did conquer it for sure because he raised from the dead, right? That's how he conquered death. And he secured our conquering of death. He secured our resurrection. The question is the nature of it and the timing. So I think 2 Timothy is talking about Jesus' personal resurrection. But does that mean, what, what is the implications of that for our resurrection and the nature of our resurrection? 
and Second Timothy doesn't speak to that quite the same way, I don't think. Peter says, could the elements mentioned by Peter be the same as ones Paul in Galatians 4? Um, maybe the elementary principles of the world there, and, and certainly there Paul is, is discussing an old covenant, new covenant transition. Uh, maybe the, the wording is similar for sure. I don't know if that would change this though. Um, maybe it's worth thinking about. Uh, so let me get back to what I said to Sherry a minute ago. Uh, the spirit testifies, <clears throat> excuse me, this is from Romans eight. The spirit testifies, uh, with our spirit, we're children of God. If children heirs, and now that we've been through Isaiah, hopefully some of that heir language, the inheritor, uh, is, is recalling these vast promises and inheritances that were promised to, uh, uh, to Jerusalem to to Zion to the uh, the people of Messiah he goes on and says I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the anxious longing of creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for creation was subjected to futility I think that's the curse I think that's Genesis three. Um, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery and corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Uh, a post-mill view would have to see this. Well, I shouldn't say that. One view is that things are transitioning now and through technology, through uh, God's blessing, uh, then corruption is going to be overturned. Uh, that doesn't necessarily speak into the ultimate things here, the timing of the resurrection, all that we're talking about. But then he says this, for the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. Not only this, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the spirit and we groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. And notice how he describes here, the adoption of sons, he calls it the redemption of our body. Uh, so this gets back to what Sherry was raising. It seems like we're waiting for our bodies to be redeemed like Jesus's was. Now, maybe, again, I'm open. If you got other suggestions, let's hear it. Um, but that seems to fit uh, the best to me. Lon says, must the second death, uh, must be the second death as that is what Jesus conquered, isn't it? Well, he didn't, uh, well, what are you saying is a second death? In Revelation, it seems like the second death is, hmm, maybe, maybe. Uh, Key says, what about those that were raised from the dead by Jesus and the other disciples? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, obviously, Jesus was not the first one. We have even back to um, Elijah raising the widow's son. So Jesus was not the first one to come back from the lot from death to life. So there's something unique about his resurrection that makes him the first fruits. Um, the widow's son apparently died again. Lazarus apparently died again. Jesus is the first one to come back to life and not die again. I think now uh, that yeah. Again, there's so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Uh, Dale says, I always took 1 Corinthians 15 as saying 
we'll have bodies, but we can't extrapolate to understand and appreciate them any more than we can look at a seed and see a tree rather than fully better, better than we can fully imagine. Yeah, uh, maybe. Let me, uh, I, I told Lon we would go here. So let me go to Revelation here just to raise more questions that I don't have answers for. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and the great chain in, hand, in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Um, now, I'm not the answer man, Lon. I'm the question man. <laughs> uh, he threw him into the abyss. So Satan here is described as a dragon and a serpent, neither of which, by the way, would I argue are literal, uh, bound him for a thousand years. I'm not convinced that should be literal either in a book full of images, uh, but a long time. And he's thrown into abyss. How can a dragon be thrown into abyss? Uh, I don't know. Again, it seems like it's imagery here to communicate something. He shut it, sealed it over him that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And of course, this is what raises all the questions. When is this period? Is this a a, an earthly millennium and a pre-mill view that says Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign on earth and that's going to be the fulfillment of uh, the new heavens and new earth that we saw in, in Isaiah. And I think this is what Lon was arguing or at least suggesting, uh, mentioning in the comments. Uh, and that's a possibility that uh, the Jesus comes back and the new heavens and new earth that Isaiah saw that included dying such that the uh, the cursed one wouldn't live to be 100, uh, that that is not the full and final ultimate state that we'll see here in a minute, but that that is the, uh, the, the golden age where people still die, but they die after living hundreds of years. And so if you're thinking of just to use the terminology mentioned here, a thousand years and you live several hundred, then you've lived a good chunk of that, uh, that millennium. The, the, the challenge there, one challenge I see is if they're glorified people going into that millennium, do they die? And if not, based on, well, I, uh, all these questions, uh, I, I don't even want to raise them because... <laughs> Oh man, there's just so many. Sherry says, yes, we never die. We are told that when we are born again, we are eternal with God's spirit with us and can't die, but we know our body does going to the ground. Uh, yes, but it sure seems like 1 Corinthians 15 is saying our body comes back to life. In Romans 8, the redemption of our body. Uh, I don't see any indication that we're going to be bodiless. Bodiless, we're not, you know, we, that our, well, let me say it again. It seems like, Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15 speak of some kind of a resurrection body just like Jesus had. So that when do we get that body? And where does that body live? Are the two big questions in my mind. And this all seems like it's going to be this earth reformed, changed, and we live in those new bodies on this earth. Now, again, uh, I'm open to, to correction. Dale says, I can see Lon's view providing some insights, should probably ponder it more. Yep. 
Cerise says, Paul told the Thessalonians some would then die. Uh, they didn't experience. He told them they would have happened and caught up back then. How could they have been comforted? Um, yeah, they're comforted knowing that those who died didn't perish uh, forever. So if, if I'm understanding Cerise, that your view would it would seem like then the resurrection would have hap- would have had to take place in 70 AD to make it any kind of a near term for them to fit these other things. In which case it would not be a bodily resurrection that we think of where everybody sees dead people walking, but it would be a resurrection going to dwell with him in heaven. Now, I, I don't want to suggest you're saying things you're not. I'm I'm just trying to, I don't know, put this all together, which is very hard. Uh, do I, do I even go here? Um, he says here, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So this is just so, so interesting, so hard. Uh, so there's a group that comes to life. Uh, so there are thrones, judgment. So there's a throne room scene here, a judgment scene. Those who were beheaded because of their testimony, who did not worship the beast, they came to life and reigned for a thousand years. So if this is a pre-mill millennium, then it seems like there's a, a certain segment of believers who are raised and reigning with Jesus, but the rest did not come back to life. And I know a typical view is that all Christians are those who were beheaded and didn't worship the beast and didn't receive the mark. That all depends on your understanding of the timing of Revelation. If this is pre-70 AD, I don't think that's possible. If this is post-70 AD, then yeah, I could see it that way. That's a big question in my mind. And who are these rest of the dead that didn't come? And this is the first resurrection, the resurrection to reign with Jesus for those thousand years. Some would argue that's a bodily resurrection of the glorified saints in the millennium. Some would argue this is the uh, spiritual resurrection, the new birth. Um, anyway, oh man, this is just so, I, I we are not going to have the time here. I, I just want to get to here and then I'm going <laughs> to call it a day. Um, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> of course, that conjures up all the, all the things we talked about in Isaiah 65 and 66. The first heaven, the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. So it seems like our options are, this is the old covenant's gone, new covenant is here. Or this is a rejuvenated cosmos. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And we saw New Jerusalem all over the place in Isaiah. uh, Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Is that? Well, and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. So in a in a new covenant, old covenant paradigm, this would have to be the spirit, I assume. Whereas in a rejuvenated cosmos, this would be actual presence of God in a 
in a way that he's not here now. And here's the thing. Uh, here's where I see a divergence from Isaiah. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, we saw some similar terminology in Isaiah. But I don't think we saw there that there is no longer any death. So it seems to me that he's using similar terminology of Isaiah, but now taking it to a new level. So in Isaiah, there's a new heavens, new earth, where there's still people dying, but they live long aged, at least to 100. Here, death is gone. And he uses another similar terminology. Uh, Behold, I'm making all things new. The old things have passed away. We saw that in Isaiah. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians, and now John does. So I don't know. My working working paradigm, <laughs> and I, I'm just holding this so loosely. But I just wonder, I think I mentioned this the other day, is there some kind of um, rebirth for the world that started when Jesus came. And we are growing. The lifespan is expanding. Ruling is subduing. We're doing that more. Uh, technology is leading us to greater health. Kind of a post-mill view, but I don't, I don't like that phrasing for a variety of reasons. But my, optimal, my optimism that that we are seeing the first fruits of resurrection life as, uh, as the Spirit continues to move throughout the world to bring people to Christ, bring the nations to Zion. But there will be a physical bodily return of Christ. All things will be made new, resurrection, judgment, and then we enter into the glorified eternal state um, where there's absolutely no death. That that makes a lot of sense to me in a lot of ways. I'm not suggesting it's without challenge. Mike says, I need to understand this, but couldn't join in time. Greetings from Finland. I will catch up. Yeah, uh, do that. And all you're going to, you're just going to be frustrated at all the questions I'm not answering. El <laughs> uh, Mac says, was the law considered death? Um, I don't think so. For instance, in Romans 7, he says, we, the Jews died because the law condemned them. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so anyway, thanks for your uh, input and your patience, and let's keep working through this and pondering. And uh, uh, as we study, I'll continue to study. Maybe the Lord will continue to bring uh, answers to us. Anyway, have a great weekend. Join us Monday. We're going to go down a new path, and uh, I think it'll bear fruit. It's not going to be just theoretical. We're going to talk about how to change the world as the body of Christ. All right, have a great weekend. God bless. We'll see you on Monday.